What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. Uh, we wanted to get a Virginia Tech reaction up for you right quick. Um, before I do that, I'm your host, Josh Smith. I'm here with co-host Dustin Shu and co-host Raul Clement. Shout out to Raul. He's wearing the, the Greatest of All Talk shirt. So if you haven't checked those guys out, go check that out. It's a good podcast. Well, we'll start because we're, we're recording this at about five o'clock. So Sean Stewart just committed to Duke. So John Shire got him another one. Um, another one yeah yeah so Stuart, six eight power forward from the 23 class four star um not super familiar with this game we'll probably get john watson and steve clark back on to talk about him a little bit from what i've seen projects as kind of a four five spacer high iq versatile um seems to be a good defender so should fit in well uh with that with that class and you know john continues to kind of just rack this up here which is you know, good for us. But we'll, we'll jump into Virginia Tech. Lots to talk about, kind of a tale of two halves. Uh, so I'll kind of toss this over to my co-host here. What, what do y'all guys see from that game? What stood out? Uh, well, first thing for me, I mean, Duke came shot out of a cannon. I mean, that that start that we had, uh, I think it was 13 to four in the first four minutes. Wendell was uh, four or five with 10 points, just you know, coming out firing on all cylinders, hit two threes right off the bat, uh, then kind of fell asleep a little bit, kind of got lulled, lulled down, and, and Virginia Tech went on that 9-0 run to make it a game again. Uh, and just you could tell that we were we were laboring to to defend that that spread, especially with Mark trying to come off and, and play in space. Um, what about you, Raul? What did, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it did definitely looked like we were going to run away with it. And then, like you said, uh, they went on that run. They're just a really disciplined, smart team. You know, they milk the entire clock, and they always manage to get a good shot out of it. And then they have these shooters who are basically automatic. Um, while we did do a good job defending the three for the game as a whole, we weren't doing quite as good a job on that in the first half. And uh, But we were strangely getting beat inside, which is not what you would expect. But I think that the real story of this game overall was just the switch to small ball in the second half that won us the game. I don't really think you can uh, talk about this game without talking about that. Yeah, uh, it that's... allowed us to get AJ on the floor, who was a difference maker. Yep. It allowed us to get Paolo yep. at the five, where he was a lot more effective. And uh, we won with defense. Yes, that will be the story of the game. You'll see a lot of places. But we also scored 44 points in the second half. So, you know, it was yeah. on both ends. Well, and it, we were way more consistent with the small ball because um, I was watching that first half and you kind of have a little bit of shades of the Ohio State where these these long scoring droughts are just creeping in. And, and it almost looks like we want to play fast and we're playing a team that's playing slow, but us trying to play fast, like almost kind of sped us up more than it really did them. And we looked uncomfortable. Um, and Raul, you talked about kind of going to small ball. And so we start the second half kind of get blitzed. And then I think shoe around that 17 minute mark, yep. like starting to get in the 16 minute mark. Um, Mark misses a rotation. He comes out, we go to small ball, we hit a 13 0 run and that that's pretty much the game. Um, I, I'd like to kind of unpack that a little bit more though, on like what small ball is going to look like for us going forward, what that unlocks the pros and cons. Uh, obviously it seemed to unlock Paulo a little bit. He had a, tremendous second half after starting the game, you know, not very well. And obviously, you know, our favorite son, AJ, um, sliding to the four, had the big dunk and, and just, this was his best game. I thought, uh, 
granted the like comparison to the competition, right? Like seeing him do this in an ACC game, um, I think is big time. So, so let's start there. Let's kind of throw that out for small ball kind of going forward for Duke. What does it mean for Paulo AJ? What does it mean for Mark? You, Raul, you want to take it first? Uh, sure. Yeah. I was just going to say, well, first of all, we should say that it's not that small when you get down to it. Uh, true. Paolo's 6'10. Wendell Moore is 6'6. Six, six, uh, AJ 6'6. Six, six. I believe these are their listed heights. I'm just doing off the top of my head. My point is, uh, Keels is 6'4. So, really, the only guy who's, you know, s- small for his position would be Roach. It's more of like a typical college size team rather than the enormous team that we've been putting out there in the past. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, yeah. And Shu, if you want to add anything. Well, and Kay but, called it a ball handling lineup, not a right, small ball handling. Lineup. Yeah, so the we'll, ball handling yeah. lineup. We'll um, go with that. You know, John John Watson in his write-up uh, after the game <clears throat> kind of hinted at this, but it, it, it unlocked Paulo, like you guys said. I mean, he was three and nine in the first half with only six points, and he had three turnovers. He was kind of settling for those mid-range jump shots. He and Josh is something that we've all talked about. He wasn't able to beat his man off the dribble one-on-one. So it was kind of like, you know, try to beat him. And then if I can't do that, I'm going to do a step back uh, mid-range. And I kind of felt like, look, Paulo can dominate inside in college, 100%. I think he should, and I'm not the one to question, you know, how a guy should play. But if he would start inside, that'll open up those outside jump shots. You know, I think he wants to show that to the scouts that I can hit that because that's what he's going to do in the NBA. But I just think it would be a lot easier for him if he would establish himself inside, just, you know, kind of kind of get himself going. And then when those guys have to start backing off of him, then he can pull up for those mid-range jump shots because he can make those shots. I'm, you know, he, he, he has that. He has the tools for it. Um, I just think we, as a team, actually, in general, we – I think maybe the the start the hot start kind of had something to do with it. We kind of fell in love with taking a lot of outside shots when maybe we should have been going inside out first. I don't I don't know. Yeah, and you hear like Bill is I think or whoever said it even last night, but you hear it all the time watching Duke. Right, we do a great job of making teams start their offense further out. That's what Paulo's doing right now. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. starting his offense too far out, um, and and he has that. He's got good vision. But it's just not really working at a high level. Um, you know, you took Mark off the floor and it kind of opened that up for him. And I think kind of segueing to Mark a little bit, he's probably going to be the guy most impacted by this. Um, you know, last night we had four guys over 35 minutes, more played 39. Um, you know, Mark, I think, finished around 12 minutes or so, which is interesting because if you listened to last week, um, Steve talked about one of his main points was about trying to see can Duke dictate how they want to play versus kind of being reactive and matchup dependent based on what other people are doing. Here we are one game in, uh, you know, so I don't know what that means going forward for for that, but it's interesting. I don't know. What do y'all think about, about Mark here? Well, not to sort of toot our own horn too much, but yeah, we did have a long discussion about that uh, when previewing the Virginia Tech game. And you're right that they were able to dictate both our lineup and the pace. And while the small ball looks excellent, like I think we have a really good small ball lineup, the question is whether we really want to limit our options in that way. Now, if we're able to kind of go back and forth between small ball and giant ball or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, from, from matchup to matchup, then 
that could offer us some versatility, but I wouldn't want to see us just sort of push Mark entirely out of the rotation. That would be my only hesitancy. Well, I don't think we're going to necessarily see that happen. I mean, look, at the start of the year, Mark was kind of a little slow to come on, right? Like, um, at some point, there were a lot of Duke fans almost willing to, to push the panic button. Like, where's Mark been? Uh, of course, in the Gonzaga game, he was massive in that game with the six blocks, which really seven blocks. I can't, still can't believe they called that one on Timmy a foul. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think that we're going to necessarily lose him or in danger of losing him. I want him to stay active because there will be games when we need him. Um, I just think, like you hit on, Raul, the versatility of being able to go small if if we're not able to impose our will, so to speak, on the other team and make them play how we want to play, it's nice to be able to, okay, we'll downshift and we'll put Paulo at the five and AJ at the four. And, you know, it, it, it's either going to be Paulo and AJ's night or it'll be Mark and Paulo's night to, to kind of man the front court. Um, AJ's, I mean, he's thick. He's a big guy. He switched off an Aluma a couple times last night, was able to guard him. I, I, I just think it's going to be, it bodes well for our chances come March because we don't know what we're going to see. You know, if you run into Purdue in, uh-huh. in March, um, that's two big guys. And so we're going to need Mark. Um, so, uh, well, and on the flip too, it's, you know, Mark could also, we kind of talked about the cons with Mark, and I'll toss this to Raul because he mentioned it uh, last night, but Mark could also benefit from a small ball lineup with him in it. Now, that sounds kind of counterintuitive I keep with him being in a small ball lineup. But with him at, or AJ at the four and Mark at the five, that still operates kind of like a small ball lineup. But you really move Mark into this kind of just full on rim running shot blocking presence. Um, obviously, Powell is probably going to see the majority of the minutes. So there's not going to be a ton of that there. But uh, Ro, when you were talking about that, what were you kind of seeing or where were you? Where, what kind of role were you thinking for the, the Mark AJ lineup? Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to say we should do that 30 minutes a game or something because you need Paolo on the floor. Um, for some of my criticisms of him, he's still an amazing player. Um, however, if you put AJ and Mark out there, AJ is a better floor spacer than Paolo. Paolo can shoot, but he's not this lights-out shooter, right? But AJ, so far at least, has been. So creating that space makes it much more of a true kind of one-in, four-out lineup. And I think that would benefit Mark, especially on the offensive end. Because right now, I thought the biggest issue last night wasn't Mark on defense versus Virginia Tech. It was Mark on offense. He just wasn't contributing anything out there. And so you have this guy standing in the paint, blocking driving lanes, our guards aren't looking for him and he's not doing anything to avail himself of the ball either. So, you know, what's the benefit there when we can go small and still maintain our defense, if not even make it better in this particular situation, but we can also open up driving lanes for everybody else. Yeah. I think that's a good point that um, in the first half, especially Mark being in the paint, and and Paulo wasn't able to get by his guy, but even if he did, I don't know if he would have had anything to do there because he would have just had a, a help defender come over at him. So he was kind of settling for those jump shots. Where in the second half, when he was playing the five, and granted he he was a, a lot more attacking the rim, was getting in the paint the second half. I mean, he, uh, he was six of 11 with 17 points in the second half after we mm-hmm. shifted him to the five. So it was a, it was a big change 
for Paulo, um, especially. And all those shots were at the rim, weren't they? Um, the, yeah, the majority. He hit that one three on that. He hit the one three that AJ, AJ um, gave him a pass out. Yeah. yeah. Where he kind of stumbled in the lane and, and Paulo stepped back to, to create some space and hit that three. Yep. And then yeah. he had a he had a mid range that he got fouled on, so that's not a shot attempt, but he did get two points out of that, I believe. Yeah. But other than that, it was all shots at the basket, and he was really able to bully his man. You know, he uh, he missed a couple, but then got the put got back. His own rebound. Yeah. You know, so yep. the net result is still two points. You know, it might be it's one more field goal miss, but the net result is just as good, you know? So. Right. One thing I give Paulo a lot of credit for is that he's a willing passer, you know, for, mm-hmm. for a guy that's an alpha, that's the, you know, supposed to the, the best prospect of the team, you know, I won't say he's the best player on the team, but the best prospect, um, mm-hmm. he, he, he will give the ball up. He won't just kind of four shots a lot of times. And then that second half, I mean, we talked about earlier before we started recording the, uh, the passes to, uh, to kills on the cut of the baseline, you know, he, he drives in defense rotates, comes up, he just drops it off. Nice little layup. And so I, I do appreciate that, that he's willing to at least um, not just toss it up there every time. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we talked about him being the best prospect. I think that's a good kind of segue to talk about the best player, um, which for me is Wendell Moore hands down. And, you know, I, I like that you mentioned that Paolo is a willing passer. I'd still like to see Wendell lead the team in usage. Um, you know, talk about his passing last night, the one that he hit to, I think, Roach and Roach, yeah. and uh, AJ for the big dunk. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see him kind of unleashed a little bit more to be a little bit more aggressive, to kind of be more of an initiator. Maybe we'll see that a little bit uh, in a small ball kind of role, but... What do y'all think in terms of that? How do we get more? How do we maximize Wendell, I guess? Well, Kay has said that he actually wants Wendell to shoot more. Mm. So I'm not sure where the hesitancy is coming from. If it's just that Paolo gets the ball and then everybody feels like, okay, we should just stand here and kind of watch him or what. But one stat that jumped out to me from the game was that uh, Wendell had 21% usage and uh, Paolo had 43%, and 43% is like astronomically high, right? Mm, That's like Russell Westbrook in OKC territory. (laughs) And yet when you look at their box score, Paolo had 23 points, I believe, and Wendell had 20 shots. Yeah. 18 uh, on, uh, yeah, far fewer. Yeah, well, I, I thought Wendell had 20 points. But either way, the point is he had almost as many points with half the usage, right? So right. he's making more of his opportunities. He's picking smart shots to uh, take. He's taking them within the flow of the offense, whereas Paolo can sometimes be a little bit of a ball stopper. Like you said, he does pass, but there's just these times where the offense becomes, give it to Paolo, and we stand and here and yeah. hope something good happens, right? So that was the first half again. And then the second half, we did it, but we cut. And that's where you yep. get those those plays for, you know, AJ's huge slam and and the kills reverse layup. Um, just, you know, instead of standing and watching and waiting on Paulo to do something, like, let's go find that empty space and get, and get an easy layup. Which goes back to small ball too, right? You don't have that guy just, and it might Standing be in the lane. Yeah. right less about Mark, and you know, obviously, I'm not a coach, but and more about how we're using him a little bit. Um, 
me watching Mark fight for position down low for like a post touch, like a post up is not what I really want to see. Um, even if you get him the ball there on the block, he's pretty limited in terms mm-hmm. of what he's going to be able to do. And then that's cutting off these driving lanes. And so if, if we're going to continue to use the two big, I would just like to see a little bit more creativity. Um, well, and I think we will. What well, that, You know, like Marshall Plumlee, like just set him in that dunk spot. Like mm-hmm. yeah. he's way more athletic. Last night, we didn't see uh, Jeremy Roach to Mark Williams' alley-oop, so I think Rollo and I had two per game, and I haven't seen that in a while, so mm-hmm. our our side bet's not doing too well. But, um, yeah. Well, I mean, he tried that layup off the glass. That was a that was a lob, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, though, with Mark, there are there is always that opportunity to throw that over-the-top pass, right? And I feel like we're not hitting that, or maybe we don't have somebody who can make it. Uh, Paolo, Paolo tried, tried. one, yeah. yeah, and he it, it missed by me five of feet. Bag, Bagley to Carter, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, just a bit outside. Yeah, but Mark yeah. is so tall and his arms are so long that in theory that pass is always there. And as far as him posting up, I don't really want to see a ton of that either. But if he is going to fight for position, you got to hit him, I think, because you want him to be involved in the offense. You just want him to be engaged in the game. And I think he's going to play better defensively. I'm not saying just throw away possessions on Mark Williams' post-ups. No, but, but there was one last you, night that you, annoyed me that was like, Keels is looking straight at him. Mark has backed his man down pretty far. And then he just rotates it to Paolo on the wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to feed the big man. I mean, that's that's what those guys, especially Mark, you know, he... He runs, he runs the floor, you know, so you're not going to run the floor as much if you're just getting down there and nobody's ever giving you the ball, giving you a look, you know, um, so it's keeping them happy. Either. We missed uh, Theo twice too. Yeah. Uh, he was but, rolling right down the middle of the lane there. Nobody Theo bobbled one, one right. of those, I think kills tried to hit him and he bobbled it. Um, right. But I think there bounds. were two others that were, yeah. were yep. missed and yeah. yeah. He has the capacity to just turn into that little hook shot or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. he can do something there, especially yep. if he's that open. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we don't really, like we were talking earlier, we don't really have that kind of true point guard kind of guy that, that can take advantage of that or that sees that fast enough to really let our bigs capitalize. Um, I will say, as we kind of wrap up this a little bit based off our preview last week, we, we won the three-point game. That was kind of a big talking point for us of limiting them and us trying to, to hit threes, and we did both. So, you know, it, we ended up 54% from the field, which was nice, six blocks, eight steals. Um, Want to give a shout-out to David Becker. You know, keep throwing money on Duke. Um, yeah, kills still, the cover. Yeah, Becker and the wins. cover. Yep, yeah, for never sure. Never a doubt. Never a doubt. Well, I guess one we thing, can't. We got to talk about the brotherhood unis, but you got something before we get into that? Yeah, Steve? I mean, one thing that I thought stood out last night. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed zero assists from Roach and Kills. Mm. Um, you know, we only had I think ten assists as a team. Uh, Wendell had four of those. Um, so a little concerning there that we just you know didn't get anything really from those guys in that regard, um, or offensively in general, really. Um, they struggled, to put it mildly. Uh, Keels ended the game nicely. I believe he hit two free throws, and then he got that steal for the layup. Yep. And that kind of sealed it for us. But on the offensive end, at least, he and Roach were kind of non-factors. Yeah. And Roach went three of eight. I didn't look at uh, Keel's line, but it wasn't good either. And he airballed the three. He ended up with 13, yeah, that was a, he ended up with 13 points, but he did oh, right, miss yes. that one by a mile. 
Uh, one other stat that I saw before the game, and this was um, kind of a, a predictive stat, but Virginia Tech was 8-0 on the season if they were shooting over 35% from three, um, and they were 0-4 not doing that. Uh, obviously, now they're 0-5 as they only shot 28%, and a lot of that was due to that switch to small ball in the second half. We started um, switching on screens which kept them from the little dribble handoff uh, to get an open three. I think they were only one of nine from three in the second half. Yeah, that was a huge difference too. And I thought there were a few like open ones that they might have hit if we were playing them on the road, but most of them were well defended, I thought. Well, and we were blitzing the passing lanes hard right. in that yeah. second half. I mean, we were like, I will give credit to Roach and Kiels for that. Both yeah. of them were just really we had aggressive. had a lot of deflections, a lot, right? Like we... We did get some steals. We had a lot of those times they were passing around where it would have got an open three if we wouldn't have had a hand up to kind of knock the ball uh, from a from a clean pass um, mm-hmm. and kept them from getting some open threes and and was able to allow us to kind of scramble back and get back into defensive position. Um, do you guys want to hit on like uh, you know the the crowd last night? You know it was the first ACC game, um, but of course now in this twenty game ACC you know, schedule, you're, you're forced to play a game or two during the Christmas break. So you're, you're playing a a game that matters without, you know, arguably one of our biggest advantages. And that's the crazies. Um, You know, there were still some guys there, some fans, students there. Um, I didn't know if you guys had any thoughts on, on, on that there. I thought the crowd was okay, but in general, I'm actually not a fan of the 20 game ACC schedule. For me, right. it puts too much emphasis on conference play over the balance is just skewed now, right? Where, so for example, this year the ACC had a bad non conference, right? A lot of bad losses by, you know, some of the teams that were supposed to be the best teams. And then that means that every team is now viewed as weak in the net or by the computers or whatever, which really makes it hard for anyone to boost their resume. Um, but just having 20 games like that means there's just not as much information about how good the conference actually is. So that's a big problem for me. And then, like you mentioned, having to play those, uh, you know, I think we have to play three games over the break now. Um, now, it actually might benefit Duke this year because two of those games are on the road. So maybe those crowds won't be as hostile as they usually would be. But, sure, it, you know, if, if it was flipped and we had to play two at home, it would be it could be a problem. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would add is, you know, in the the game thread last night, I was basically just kind of not panicking. You know, usually I'm a little more of the pessimistic side, especially <laughs> in those. Some of it's, you know, comedic, but you know, it, it's not only the the students not being there. It's the players getting ready to get out of there, yeah. too. Right. Kay saying they got a three day break. So it's like, OK, let's do this one. And then we got holidays, Christmas, go see the family. Sure. It, it's kind of set up easy to be a little sluggish. Yeah. And we happen yeah. to be playing what could end up being our best conference opponent first in that. If not yeah. best, I would. I think they're going to be top three, personally. Um, so, you know, it kind of sets up for that. But uh, before we, we move on to Clemson, let's talk a little bit about the kind of initial reactions to the Brotherhood Unis, the compliment to the ones we saw last year. I mean, you guys know me. I, I love a good Duke jersey. Um I wish Nike would release this when it, I feel like it's, you know, we get the whites and the blues every year. When's the last time we've had like one of those alt jerseys released? Mm-hmm. I think it was that the big D that uh, that we wore in the Carolina, oh, the, yeah. the the Dean Dome buzzer, double gross. buzzer yeah. beater. Yeah, didn't fan. didn't like those. Um, 
So I definitely look at Nike. If you're listening to this, I'll put me down for two right now, you know, especially <laughs> being white. Like I, I'm just afraid that if I get one that I'm going to spill coffee on it the first day or something. What about you, Raul? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm not somebody who buys jerseys, but I would definitely buy this one if only to frame and put on my wall. It's just so elegant and clean looking. Right. And that's what I really like in a Jersey. I felt that something that happened in kind of the sort of 2009 era, kind of, we went into these jerseys that were just way too busy. Mm-hmm. And now we've kind of cleaned it up and gone back to our roots almost a little bit. Um, you know, obviously this has this sort of uh, Gothic lettering that, you know, hence it kind of Duke's campus and the whole tradition and all that. But just the simplification, when you look at jerseys from, the early 2000s or the 90s, they were always just very simple and stark. And it just allowed those beautiful colors to shine through. And I think that this white jersey and the other brotherhood jersey are just great examples of that same principle. Yeah, I think uh, what you were talking about, the 2009-10, a lot of those jerseys were kind of influenced by the Team USA jersey. Remember mm-hmm. the jerseys that had the the kind of the... the the pictures on the back. So like yeah, the, the, the chapel. That had the, the chapel yeah, the cha- on the back. yeah, I got one of those hanging out. Dude, I mean, I got the Kyrie Irving signed one. So, I mean, that was one of my favorite jerseys. So, I'm not going to crap on right. it. But, um, you know, I, I've also got the the gray one uh, that was just kind of weird. The um, Oh, yeah, I didn't that like That was the, the one grays, we wore against Maryland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seth, 2013. Seth Curry, 2013, yeah. yeah. I did like the Army one, the the um, Honor, Courage, you know, all that's the, the the ones that we did for Coach K. Right, the, yeah. Yep. I like those. Yeah. 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 Um, I like these two. I mean, I like the blue one better, personally. Yeah, um, yeah. And I wish that would – I wish kind of we would phase out the black and make that Duke kind of brotherhood jersey our kind of like alternate, mm-hmm. personally. But – um. You know, yeah, shout out to Nolan for, for the yeah, design on these. Was, these are, yeah. you know, I think it's perfect and fitting for us. Um, I give it a 10. Yeah, there we go. So I guess we'll we'll kind of preview Clemson a little bit and then we'll get out of here. Uh, I have a few notes and then I'll just kind of toss it around. So just kind of a quick glance, you know, top 40 team on Kimpom, similar to Virginia Tech. This is going to kind of come down to the three-point game a little bit. Um, they're a top five team in three-point percentage. They got three guys that shoot 40% or better. So that's going to kind of be a task. It looks like it could also be another game where the small ball lineup could be pretty effective for us. Right now, we got a four-point Duke win is what Kim Palm is projecting. Their best one of the season probably is the one they just had, 17 points at UVA. Obviously, UVA is not great this year, but they haven't really played anyone else either. Y'all got any kind of thoughts or anything that you want to kind of talk about for Clemson? Um, I mean, for me, uh, the biggest thing – and I guess it's, I don't want to get too personal into my life, but I I used to go to basketball camp at Clemson when we were in high school. That was our, our team camp was always at Clemson and shooting in that, in that arena. If I don't know if you guys have ever been in little John, but it's, mm. it's kind of, no. it's kind of weird. Um, you know, we played a couple games in there and I, and I was a shooter um, and I couldn't shoot in there. It's something about, I mean, you know, these guys get used to, especially we played in Madison square, we played in T-Mobile playing these big arenas. But Clemson is just a place that, and I think John hinted to on the on the the ACC preview pod that we just don't shoot well there, and so I'm kind of a little worried about that. I think we need to again establish ourselves inside and work outside, um, and and see where it goes from there. Yeah, I think if we defend the three point line like we did this last game, we'll win. I'm a little worried about it though because we are on the road. 
Yes, students will be gone, but I think they'll still manage to have a hyped up crowd. They're going to know that this is a huge resume game for them, right? Um, right. So that'll be, you know, maybe a factor in their favor. Um, but yeah, like like Josh said, I really think it comes down to how well they shoot threes and how well we defend them. In a weird way, they're a lot like Virginia Tech. So it's strange to kind of play them back to back. They're, they don't play quite as slow as Virginia Tech, but you know they have the same strengths and they are a slow team. So we may, hopefully this last game will have prepared us a little bit for what Clemson can do. Yeah, and I'm kind of interested to see what the atmosphere is going to look like down there because they play their football team plays like three hours right. after the basketball game. They play their bowl game, so you know historically right. Clemson's kind of more of a football school, right? This being yeah, Duke and yeah. Kay's last ride, we'll see. But we might see a few more Duke fans uh than we normally would there. But um so, in- quick quick note on Clemson. I just, you know, I haven't got to watch them play, but the was talking to you guys earlier. PJ Hall's their leading scorer. And if you any of you Duke fans, if that name sounds familiar, you'll and even though I've tried to kind of erase most of last year from my memory, the one thing that I do remember is uh, Jalen Johnson absolutely murdering that dude mm-hmm. on a fast break dunk. I mean, uh, so credit to him for resurrecting and coming back to to lead this team in scoring so far right. this year. Johnson's one mem- memorable moment. I mean, but it was a nasty dunk. True, true, yeah, true. that's true. That's true. That's a good. That's a good uh, wrap up. Um, before we get out of here, I do want to plug really quickly. If you want to know anything else about Sean Stewart or the, the most recent commit for Shire in the 23 class, uh, Steve Clark's got an interview about to go up with him and his mom. That's about to drop on the devilsden.com. So head over to 247 Sports. Check that out. Uh, get on the board. You can find us there. You know, Let us know. Give us your thoughts and your feedback. Uh, you can also email us at the devil's den pod at gmail.com. Send us oh, some I stuff that. there. I changed it to I love lamp. Since you oh, yeah. Making yeah, fun yeah. of me. Explain Every other letter time. capitalized. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, yeah. yeah. And just, you know, remember like usual subscribe, rate, comment. Uh, let us know what you think. We'd like to do a mailbag at some point. And, um, you know, if you're out traveling, be safe over the holidays and, you know, keep the faces strong and the verb high.